0: This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. God, as we turn our attention to your word, as we turn our attention to your gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, Lord, would you open our hearts Would you enlarge the capacity of our hearts to believe, to be full of belief and faith, God, that you can do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we can ask, hope, or imagine. And tonight, Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us through your living word in the mighty resurrected name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. If you were with us last week, how many of you guys were with us last Sunday? Many of you, okay, and I know we've got some people out tonight, but we are continuing our latest series called The Gospel of John. It is the heartbeat of this church that your heart would become awakened with a passion, might I say, a holy fire for the good news about what Jesus has done. So much so that it would carry out and spill out into the streets of your neighborhood, of your workplace, of your life with your friends, and others That the gospel, which means good news about Jesus, would permeate everything about you and your existence. Throughout this series, it's our hope that you would encounter Jesus, the living Christ, in a way that you never have before. Some of you are familiar with this gospel. It's one that's often recommended to new believers when they're getting started reading the Bible, which I highly recommend. If you're brand new to the faith... Read the Gospel of John. It will open your eyes, and even better, it will open your heart to who Jesus is. But I believe that each and every day within God's word is waiting a fresh invitation for you and I to experience who God is in Christ Jesus now. And I believe that as we go through this series, God's going to absolutely change your heart. He's going to wreck some folks. Who's ready to be wrecked by Jesus? That was not very convincing, church. Who's ready to be wrecked by Jesus? Good. I'm glad we're in agreement. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of John, chapter 1. We're going to start right where we left off last week. And how many of you guys enjoyed Pastor Jim? I'll tell you what. I I feel like every time I listen to Pastor Jim teach, I get a master class in who God is. And I'm excited to have him come back in September. And we're going to do a little tag team preaching which is going to be fun, but he led us through the gospel of John chapter one, and we left off with verse five, and tonight we're going to pick up with verses six through eight, and then we're going to look at verses 19 through 29, okay? So we're going to, we're going to cover some ground tonight. I hope you guys are ready. If you're ready, say, I'm ready, Pastor Jason. I'm ready, Pastor Jason. Here's what it says, verse six through eight. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. If you were with us last week, you remember that Pastor Jim broke down this amazing passage of scripture in verses 1 through 5 that talks about the logos or, or the word of God. That was in the beginning. And Jim said that everything that was made was made through Christ Jesus, the word, the logos, the creative force and person behind creation. And then he went on to tell us that the life of men was found in the light of God and that that light is Christ Jesus who shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. You heard him discuss the fact that in him, in Christ alone, is the life of men. And here in this text, verses 6-8, we see the apostle John, who is the author of this gospel, telling us that another man named John had come to bear witness to the light. Say the light. So that all would believe through him, through the light, through Jesus. And so we're gonna talk about John the Baptist a little bit here, or sometimes we call him John the Baptizer because that was what he was known for, baptizing people. And we pick up this text in the setting of Jordan, which is a river in Israel. If you've ever been to Israel, you'll notice that most tourists love to get baptized in this river because this was also where Jesus was baptized. And tonight, we're not gonna baptize people in the Jordan, but come on, we got an awesome trough in the lobby. And we're going to go for it. I'm so excited. John talks, he sets out talking about John the Baptist or the baptizer. And he says that he was a witness to the light. To be a witness is to, to bear forth a testimony or to have a story about something that you've both seen with your eyes and heard with your ears. It's to publicly declare the truth about what you have experienced. And in the same way that John the Baptist experienced who Jesus was, he wants you and I here today to do the same, which is why we also are called to have a story and testimony. I want to say this real quickly just as an aside about your testimony, but your testimony about what God has done in your life is powerful. Don't underestimate or undervalue your testimony about how God has changed your life and heart. Just because you didn't come, come on, from the ghetto, or you weren't on death's doorstep when God saved you, or you weren't being ravaged by drugs. I mean, some of you were. But even if that's not your story, don't underestimate or undervalue your testimony about how God has changed and redeemed you. Because there is power in our testimony, John the Baptist knew it, and here John the Apostle is giving us his account, or his testimony. Here's what it says about John the Baptist's testimony in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews, next verse, Liam. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And they said, are you a prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? This is such an important question, guys, and I want to pause right here. Because I believe that we need to take ownership of this. What do you say about yourself? What are you saying about yourself each and every day when you wake up in the morning? Are you saying I've been saved and redeemed and chosen by God? Are you saying I'm an overcomer and more than co- and a conqueror in Christ Jesus? Or are you saying I'm a sinner and I'm lost and I'm forgotten and I'm downtrodden and I'm fill in the blank? What do you say about yourself? Here, John answers. John answers. And he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He quotes Isaiah, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. So here we see John the Baptist apprehended by priests and Levites who have been sent by the Pharisees. If you're not familiar with who the Pharisees are, you will be by the time we get through this gospel. But the Pharisees were a group or sect of religious leaders who were highly critical of both John's ministry and Jesus' ministry. They were also the most prominent and most powerful religious group of the day. Most of the time when we encounter Jesus speaking harshly or directly to people that he's either confronting or challenging or rebuking, it's the Pharisees. It's this religious group of people that have power. Hmm, I wonder who that sounds like. And here, not only are the Pharisees sending people out to figure out who John is, they won't even do it themselves. They won't even lift a finger or a foot to go out to the Jordan to do it themselves. That shows you what kind of influence and power they have. But Jesus knows... The truth about who these people are, he would say things like this, you're whitewashed tombs or you're hypocrites or mask wearers. He would say you're a brood of vipers. He used very strong language for this group. And to the Pharisees, Jesus, and here John the Baptist, was a threat to their power. Are you tracking with me tonight? I want to make sure I do a good job setting this up for anybody who's never heard this before. So in the backdrop of this story, right here at the outset of John's gospel, in chapter one, we see this looming religious presence of people upset or nervous about the coming of the Messiah. Now we pick up with verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so, no, go back, Liam. They asked him then, why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. You do not know. So John the Baptist responds to this inquiry from the Pharisees that was challenging his own identity and his own authority. And right off the bat tonight, I want to say this, religious people will always challenge your identity and authority. They will always challenge who you are in Christ Jesus. That's why I ask the question, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? This is why, as a people, we need to have our identities well-rooted, next slide, in Christ Jesus. Keep going, Liam. In Christ Jesus. We need to understand where our true authority comes from. That's why we spent so much time going through Matthew and talking about having an outlandish faith and being commissioned and sent by Jesus. John responds, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you don't even know. In other words, I know who I am. Who the heck are you? I know who I am. Who the heck are you? You see, when the enemy comes knocking on the door of your heart, I hope you're ready to respond in this way. I know who I am. Who are you? I know who I am. Who do you think you are? Church, we've got to have this cemented in us. This has to be rooted in us. We have to know who we are by knowing whose we are. Come on, Liam, follow with me, brother. You can do it. There we go. we got to know who we are. And my frustration with where we are as a culture is that we don't know who we are. And as a result, we're being blown about by the winds of politics and social movements, and the news, and the media, and pop trends, and life coaches, and motivational speakers, and authors who all have ideas about things that aren't rooted in Christ Jesus, the word of God, the logos, the one that was there at the beginning. And so, John the baptizer is out in the Jordan, and he's baptizing some folks because that's what you do when you're a Baptist. You baptize people. Come on, somebody. And he was preparing them for the coming of Jesus, for the coming of the one true Messiah. And this is where things get really good. And this is where I want us to hone in now, all right? Big shotgun, now we're going laser focus. Verse 29, the very next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb. For those of you taking notes tonight, the title of my message is simply this. Behold the Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The very next day, John has responded to his critics. The Pharisees the Levites, the priests, all wanting to know what he's doing and what he's up to and if he might be the prophet or the Messiah or the coming one, right? And the very next day, Messiah shows up. Jesus himself shows up on the scene. Could you imagine with me for a moment living with the expectation that this could sometime happen in the future. And you're being pressured by religious people all around you to give an answer and account for what God's called you to do. And then Jesus walks in. Woo! Jesus shows up at a time most unexpected to them, not to God. And John says, Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sins of of the world, friends, everything that we profess and everything that we believe about God is wrapped up in this single statement. And I'm gonna tell you why in just a moment. Jesus, in his first coming, came as the lamb of God, the perfect and the spotless sacrifice to take away, to eradicate, to remove, to obliviate the sins of the world, and that would include yours. So my question for us tonight is this, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Are you living like someone who believes that Jesus has already dealt with your sin? Ah, you see, this is where I find so many Christians get caught up in a snare, because they're still trying to deal with their sin, and Jesus has already taken it away. I can go an octave higher if you wish. Do we believe this church? Do we believe this? And if so, why are we still holding on to our sin, to our closet secret stuff that we think nobody knows about? Why are we holding on to it? You see, for some of you, you're still dealing with and wrestling with stuff in secret because you think that the sin makes you feel powerful or it makes you feel valuable or that in them, you, it provides you something that you lack. Yep. For some of you, you're not trusting in Jesus' finished work on the cross that we're gonna to get to in just a moment. And this couldn't be any less helpful to you. Hear me on this. Because the truth is Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which means that apart from him, there is no hope. Apart from Jesus, there is no hope because Jesus is the only one that can deal with your sin problem. Buddha can't do it. Muhammad can't do it. Deepak Chopra can't do it. Gandhi can't do it. Oprah can't do it. Rob Bell can't do it. Joe Biden can't do it. Your mom and dad can't do it. Only Jesus. Amen. Only Jesus. Yes. And I'm not ashamed to stand behind this pulpit and declare that. And I know that there's a time coming, and it's probably already here, where that's not going to be very popular to say, but it's the truth. And if you read your Bibles, you will dis- you will discover for yourself that apart from Jesus, there's no hope. There's no hope. You see, at Craig's Church, we have one mission. Are you guys ready for it? Here it is. To equip and empower people to become courageous followers of Jesus. That's it. Some people ask me, well, aren't we going to do more things? And aren't we going to build more ministries? And aren't we going to build more buildings? And aren't we going to, aren't we going to, aren't we going to, aren't we going to? And I take them and I say, come, little padwan, let's go to the totem together. Here's what we value. The mission of God for the world. To equip and make people disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus who know who they are, who know who they are because they know whose they are. Are you tracking with me tonight? You see, for you and I to become courageous followers or pursuers of Jesus, we've got to do two things. We've got to first admit our sin, and then we need to repent of it. To admit is to acknowledge that something exists. It's to own up to it. When we see that we admit that we have a a sin problem, we're acknowledging it and we're owning up to it. We're essentially saying, Lord Jesus, I've got a problem and I need your help. That's what we do when we come to Jesus. That's the first step. The second step is that we repent. We completely change our mind and hence change our course. We turn and we move in a new direction. Because what we believe has now taken root in our heart, producing actions that follow. Are you with me? To repent is to change your mind and hence change your course. It's to think so differently about what you've been doing that you end up turning away from it. When we say that we repent of our sins, we're not just saying, we're sorry. And some of you, you get caught in this loop. I'm sorry, God. I'm so- he knows you're sorry. He doesn't want to hear it anymore. You know what he wants to hear? He wants to hear the heart of somebody who's grabbed a hold of this truth. Jesus has taken away the sin of the world. I stand righteous and redeemed in you. God, what was yours in Christ Jesus is now mine by faith. And we are a people that walk according to faith. So whether you blow it today or whether you blow it tomorrow, it doesn't matter. It doesn't diminish the work of God. It doesn't take away from what Jesus has done. And if you can grab ownership of this, you will stop living with blinders on your eyes, being so self-focused about your sins and problems and mistakes and worries. And you'll begin to live free. When we repent, we're grabbing a hold of what Jesus has done. And we're saying we've had a change of heart and this is only possible through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's only possible through Jesus coming in and doing what only he can do, taking away the sin of the world. And that's what happens when we encounter Jesus for the first time. He says, guys, I'm here to help. I've already taken care of your sin problem. Beloved, this is the assurance that we have in Christ. Not that you and I would be perfect and spotless or even sinless, but that Christ is. And because we know that our righteousness or our right standing with God is from Jesus, we can put our faith in what he alone has accomplished for us. Do we believe that tonight? You see, the sin is to ultimately miss the mark. The language is borrowed from archery. When archers would stand back and draw their bow and aim at the target and release that arrow to miss the target, was to sin. That's where we get the word. To sin is to ultimately miss the mark. It's to miss the target of what God has created us for in the first place. And here it is. To bear forth his glory. To reflect the glory of the creator. Sin is missing the mark of bearing forth the glory of God. Romans 3.23 confirms this. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the bad news. Next slide. The bad news is that nobody has ever fully hit the mark. But the good news is that Jesus did. Jesus did because, and I put it up here for us, he alone is the lamb of God most worthy. He alone is the lamb of God most worthy. Now, when we hear this with our Western American ears, we don't think much about it. Maybe for those of you that were raised in church, maybe that that statement means something to you. But you see all of human history and all the Old Testament can be wrapped up and asking this question, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? You see, in ancient times, when people who lived in that day and age, they would sacrifice a lamb to offer a burnt offering unto God. We see this actually first and foremost in the life of Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, verses 7 through 8 says this And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. You see, prophetically, Abraham answered the question, where is the lamb, without even realizing it. He told his son, God will provide for himself the lamb. Later on, the priests at the temple at Jerusalem, they would do this. They would sacrifice a lamb in the morning and they would do it again at night. Exodus 29, verse 38 through 43. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old day by day regularly. Could you imagine if we had to do this church? If in order to come to Courageous Church, you had to bring two lambs with you? How many? very thankful you don't have to do that anymore. I'm thankful. Verse 39, one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight and with the first lamb a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil and a fourth of a hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord and it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. What was God asking them to do? What was he preparing them for? For the coming of the one true lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Additionally, and for hundreds of years, Jews would make it a practice to bring lambs to the temple and offer sacrifices for their sin, And they kept coming back year after year after year because no lamb could take away all their sin. No lamb could deal with their heart problem. Because no matter how much they tried, no lamb was found worthy enough to account for all the sins of the world. That is until Jesus, Yeshua, our Messiah, shows up to answer the question where is the lamb? Behold the lamb, John would say. Behold the lamb, the lamb of God. He's here. He's with us. He's finally come. You don't have to offer sacrifices no more. You don't have to wallow in your sin no more. You don't have to be upset and worried no more because he's here. He's here. He's here, the one who takes away the sin of the world. He alone is without stain or blemish. He alone is without sin, having lived a perfect, sinless life. And he did it all for you, for you, for you, for you and for me. He did it all for us. He went to the cross for us. And he was raised in victory for us. This is why our faith, hope, and trust is not in trying to save or fix ourselves as if we could. But no, friends, our faith, hope, and trust is in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you know him? Do you know him tonight? Have you beheld him? John uses this word, behold, and I love this word. To behold something is to truly see it as it really is. To behold the lamb is to see Jesus as he truly is. It's to see him high and lifted up on that cross for you with his arms spread wide, with nail-pierced hands for you and feet pierced with nails for you. It's to see him lifted up on that hill. It's to see him as he wants to be seen, full of grace and full of truth, full of light and full of life for all men. It's to see him in glorious resurrection on the third day with his glorious resurrected body. It's to see him now sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying and interceding for you and for me. It's to behold the Lamb of Of God. Later on, the Apostle John, writing in the Book of Revelation, would see the glorified Christ, and he would go on to write about it in the Book of Revelation. The word Revelation comes from the Greek word apokalypsis, meaning uncovering or to unveil. To behold Jesus is to see the living Christ unveiled. It's to see him as he truly is. It's the account of the revealing of Jesus as he wants to be seen and known. We see it in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written with on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one, nobody, No man or woman on heaven, in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, John. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Behold the lamb who is now the lion. The root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I looked, then I beheld, then I opened up my heart to see with godly sight. And I heard around the throne and living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the lamb of God. Have you beheld him? Have you seen this Jesus? Or are you still consumed with a picture of the wandering peasant version with blue eyes and a yellow halo? Come on church, we've gotta get a revelation of who Jesus is we got to get a revelation of how he wants to be seen in the earth. High and lifted up. In glory. Surrounded by myriads. Upon myriads of angels. And saints that have gone before us. All declaring, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. He alone is the lamb most worthy. The only one who could take away our sin. The only one who could do it. And he did it. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for his bride. He did it for the church. Church, I believe this tonight. Jesus wants us to behold him afresh. To see him as he truly is, as the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The one who conquered and prevailed. The one who did it for us. Maybe you're here tonight, you don't know him. And here's what I want to do. I want to give you the opportunity right now to get to know him, to behold him. Perhaps maybe even for the first time. I want to lead you in a prayer. It goes like this. Jesus, Lamb of God, take away my sin. Save me from myself. Save me from all the things that have kept me bound. I believe and confess that you are the son of God. I believe and confess that you died on that cross in place of my sin, to take on my sin, to deal with my sin problem. But Jesus, you didn't stay crucified. You, you went to the grave and you buried it, never to be seen again. And then you were raised again on the third day and I believe and confess that God the Father raised you to life. Jesus, come, make all things new in me. Give me a life of freedom. Give me a life of hope. Give me a life of faith in you. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit all the days of my life, and I will courageously follow you. In Jesus' mighty name. Church, come on, let's put our hands together tonight. If you believe that, say amen and amen. I won't apologize for getting emotional because this is more real to me than the air that I breathe. It's more real to me than the water that I drink. It's more real to me than the food that I'll eat. This is the life, and in him was the light, and that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness will never overcome it. And I speak to this valley in the name of Jesus. And I declare that the light will shine in Salt Lake City, the Mountain West, and beyond. And if you believe that, come on, let's give God praise tonight. Well, this is the beginning. Can you imagine what our life will look like 21 chapters in? Woo!